We're now in Acts chapter 8, and we've already seen for seven chapters the Holy Spirit has been moving on the early church. We said from the beginning that this book of the Bible has been variously called Acts, and later it was called the Acts of the Apostles. But actually, when we look at this book, what we're actually seeing are the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles, or the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the early church. And what we see is that in every chapter of the early church, the Holy Spirit was moving. Every chapter of the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is doing something. The Holy Spirit is moving. The Holy Spirit is breaking something. The Holy Spirit is healing something. The Holy Spirit is opening something that was previously closed. There is not a chapter in the life of the early church in which the Holy Spirit was not moving. And how many know that for the church of Jesus Christ, even in the contemporary church of Jesus Christ, there should not ever be a chapter of our history in which the Holy Spirit is not moving? See, sometimes we think about the moving of the Holy Spirit as something that happens sporadically, as something that happens every once in a while, as something that comes and goes. I want you to know that there are certain things that the Holy Spirit does sporadically, but he's always doing something. And it is always our responsibility to make ourselves aware, to be aware of what the Holy Spirit is doing so that in every chapter of our existence as the body of Christ and as the church, we are ready to move with the Spirit. Now, back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus actually not only gives the, the apostles both their promise and the command that is going to set the stage for the rest of their ministry, but Jesus actually gave the apostles an outline of the book of Acts. He says to the, the apostles in uh, verse 7 of chapter 1, It's not for you to know the times and the seasons which the Father has set in his own power. Verse 8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's the first thing that's going to happen in the book of Acts. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So he's giving them an outline for, their, for the geographical reach of their ministry. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, this is the promise, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then here's the command, and you shall be my witnesses. You're going to receive power, and you're going to be my witnesses. And he says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Has the Lord ever given you an instruction? Like a clear instruction? Has the Lord ever told you, I'm getting ready to do this in your life, and when I do it, you're going to do this? Has the Lord ever given you a command? And have you ever found yourself just kind of forgetting about, <laughs> I forgot the Lord told me to do that. You ever had that experience? Like you look back and say, I remember the Lord told that's right, the Lord told me to do that, and I totally forgot. It's one of the worst feelings in the world to look back and, you know, and see that something went wrong for somebody else because you realize you didn't do what the Lord told you to do. Do you know the Lord does not forget that when he tells you to do something, if you don't do what he tells you to do, when he tells you to do it, he doesn't throw you away. He simply wakes you up and finds a way to move you. It's kind of like Jonah, right? Jonah thought he could run from the presence of God. How are you going to run from the presence of God? Where are you going to go? He thought if he got on a boat, he could escape God. Like a boat could go faster than God. Where's the boat going to go? And what did God do? God sent a whale, not as judgment, but as a vehicle to bring Jonah back into his will. The whale was not judgment. The whale was grace. You see, what you and I got to realize is that often calamity comes in our lives when we are outside of the will of God and we think that God is judging us. He is not judging us. That calamity is actually the vehicle that God sent to carry you back into the center of his will. You see, when you and I step out of the will of God, God takes it upon himself to bring us back into the will of God. And that is grace. So he told the disciples, Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And what did the disciples do? They get to Acts chapter 2, and point 1 happens. The Holy Spirit comes, and they receive power. 
And what did they do for the rest of Acts chapter 2? They ministered in Jerusalem. And in Acts chapter 3, where did they minister? In Jerusalem. And in Acts chapter 4, where did they minister? In Jerusalem. And in Acts chapter 5, where were they holding a revival? In Jerusalem. And in Acts chapter 6, where were they hanging out in? In Jerusalem. They forgot the all Judea, Samaria. The, and if, if God had not, if something, if calamity had not struck, where would they still be right now? In Jerusalem. But what happens in the end of chapter 6 is Stephen gets into an argument with the members of the synagogue of the freedmen. In chapter 7, they stone him and kill him. And now chapter 8 tells us that a great persecution now broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered. And where were they scattered? Throughout all Judea and Samaria. Isn't that interesting that it wasn't until trouble came that they inadvertently found themselves in the place of obedience? You find yourself in trouble and all of a sudden you're praying like a mofo. <laughs> you're like, man, I'm praying four hours a day right now. <laughs> yeah, that's because your life is on the edge of disaster. Like you, you're about to die in 45 minutes. <laughs> now you're obeying God. <laughs> you're studying the scriptures in the middle of the night. For husbands, all it takes is for your wife to be mad at you. You will find yourself in the living room on your face before the Lord. <laughs> You'll be praying then. Otherwise, you would just hang out in Jerusalem. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, the, the, Stephen was assassinated, and it was a horrible thing. It doesn't mean that God said, you know what, I'm going to kill Stephen because the church was not obedient. That's not what it means at all. It simply means that God used the persecution against Stephen as an opportunity to nudge his people into the place of obedience. Yeah. Wow. This is a very important distinction. If calamity hits your life, God is not the author of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amen. When tragedy strikes, God is not the author of it. Yeah. He is not the author of your tragedy. He is the author and finisher of your faith. Yeah. And in all things, he works for the good of those who love him. Yeah. It doesn't mean he does all things. It means in all things, he works for the good of those who yeah. love him. Yeah. And the Bible says to give thanks in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. Because yeah. certain stuff happens in your life and you don't give thanks for that thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can give thanks in that thing. Yeah, yeah. If a loved one dies, you don't say, God, thank you that my loved one died. But you can say, God, thank you that in the midst of this grief, you're with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can thank God in the midst of my circumstances, not necessarily for yeah. all of my circumstances. Yeah, yeah. And so God used this calamity as an opportunity to nudge his church into the place of obedience, yeah. into alignment yeah. with his will. Do you know we never feel like we're ready to obey God? Yeah. <laughs> we're never ready yet. We're never, I'm getting ready. I know I'm getting ready. So Do you know, first of all, we're never really ready to get saved. Yeah. Uh. I've, I've talked to people for years, and they, I'm, not, I'm, talking, I'm not talking about people who don't even believe God is real. I'm talking about people who know God is real, who know Jesus is real, who know he has a call in their life, who know that he's Savior and Lord, but just aren't yet ready. I'm not ready yet. I'm just not ready. I'm not, you know we're never ready. You'll never be ready. It's like you hear people saying, I'm not ready to be married yet. I had a friend who was 47 years old talking about I'm not ready to be married. I said, well, brother, if you ain't ready now, <laughs> you ain't never going to be ready. Matter of fact, too late. <laughs> I'm not, not just for that brother. No, because he was, he was crazy. Not for y'all. If you're 47 and you're still single, keep holding on. Keep holding on. It ain't over. <laughs> but for that brother, it was too late. And you know what? He was 47 20 years ago, so my prophecy came to pass. 
back to the message. Now, <clears throat> it said the church was scattered. Now, it's, it actually is a specific group of people within the church who were scattered. Remember we said last Sunday that the early church consisted of two groups of people. The first were called Hebrews. They were the Hebrew-speaking Jews. The second were called Hellenists. They were the Greek-speaking Jews. It was act, the persecution actually broke out against the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews, and it was the Hellenists that were scattered throughout all of Judea and Samaria. How do we know that? Because it says in verse 2, that the, or at the end of verse of 1 of, of chapter 8, that they were scattered except the apostles. Yeah. Meaning, except the apostles and the Hebrew-speaking Jews in the church in Jerusalem, yeah. it was the Greek-speaking Jews. Now remember in chapter 6, there were seven deacons yeah. that were appointed to ministry in the early church. All of them were Hellenists, Greek-speaking Jews. So they just had this new ministry yeah. that they just built. And 45 minutes later, Stephen was executed. He was assassinated and, all, and this whole ministry fell apart. All the Hellenistic Jews were driven out of Jerusalem. Yeah. So they started a ministry, and then the whole ministry fell apart within two chapters. Isn't that crazy? That sometimes God will allow even a ministry in the church to be destroyed to move us into the place of obedience? Yeah. That sometimes the thing that's standing in the way of us moving with God is that we've built too much stuff and we got too many programs and we've established stuff and we got to make sure that we, you know, we got to make sure that, we, you know, it was, a, it was a guy named Erwin uh, 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 McManus down in Los Angeles, California, the founding pastor of Mosaic. He wrote a book called uh, An Unstoppable Force and it's about the church. It's, what, it's his vision for what the church is supposed to be. And he talks about the first pastorate that he ever took with this little Baptist church. And he took the church and he was meeting with the elders and he was talking to the elders about you know, his plans for the ministry. And they were like, we can't afford that. We can't afford this. And he's like, but wait a minute, show me the bank accounts. And they looked at the bank accounts. They had $50,000 in the bank. And he goes, we got $50,000 in the bank? And they were like, yeah. He goes, here's how I'm going to use it. We're going to spend $15,000 on this outreach. We're going to spend $10,000 on this outreach. We're going to reach the community with this $10,000. And he, he was planning all these outreaches. And he said, no, we can't spend our savings. He said, why not? They said, because pastor, we have to survive. And he looked at him and he said, you know, the Lord promised us many things as the church of Jesus Christ, but one thing he never promised us is that we would survive. He said, come hell. He said, make no mistake. Come hell or hot water, I will use every resource of this church to reach the world for Jesus, or we will shut down this church in the process. Yeah, 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 yeah. But we will, we will reach, we will do everything in our power to reach our community for Jesus. Do you know that when we're not reaching, the, when we're not reaching people for Jesus, God allows calamity to come our way sometimes just to nudge us yeah, yeah. into the place of obedience, which means that trouble is actually for our benefit. That when the challenge came on the early church, the fruit of that challenge was they actually became more fruitful. Because yeah. what does it say? It said those who were scattered, in verse 3, those who were scattered, they preached the word everywhere. Wow. Yeah. They found themselves in all Judea, and they're like, hey, didn't the Lord say we're supposed to go to all Judea? And what did he say we're supposed to do here? Be his witnesses? Well, we might as well preach. I didn't intend to preach. But we might as well preach. I'm just a table waiter. I guess I'm a preacher now. Yeah. It's like going to Safeway and suddenly they made you a checker. <laughs> when they had that self-check. I'll never forget the first time I went into Safeway. And, and she, the lady was like, no waiting over here. And I followed her. No waiting. I like that. And she took me up and then she walked the heck off. <laughs> I said, where, where are you going? She said, it's self-check. I said, I don't think I'm qualified to be an employee of the store. And I guess she thought I was qualified. I said, oh, well, turn my light on. I guess I'm open. <laughs> I didn't intend to be a checker, but I became a checker that day. Sometimes you don't intend to be a preacher. You will find yourself a preacher. God will put you in circumstances and situations in which you get to be a witness and you never intended to. And this, this, this is the strategy. Remember what Jesus said in, in uh, Matthew 28 to the disciples? Go in all the world, make disciples of all nations. He says, go into all the world, and implicit in the Greek there is, as you go, make disciples. Yeah. You're just going, and as you go, God provides opportunities for you to make disciples. Yeah. You, want, you want to know what it means to be a witness for Jesus? 
Look for the opportunities that God gives you to share the gospel as you go. In your regular everyday life, wherever you go, God is setting up divine appointments and opportunities. I had a, I tell you what, I had a day a couple weeks ago. It was one of the most divine days I've ever had in my life. I told my wife, I said, I need a day to myself. She said, take it. And so I left and I went to Bay Street, Emeryville because I didn't know where else to go. I didn't know what to do with myself. I just knew I needed some time to myself. And so I went to Bay Street, Emeryville, and I went up to Barnes and Nobles, and I grabbed a book, and I sat down in the coffee area, and I started reading some nonsense. And my phone rang, and it was another pastor, and he said, listen, I just, I'm just calling to ask you to pray with me for this couple in my church. I'm really concerned for them. They're really heavy on my heart. Would you just pray with me for them? I said, no problem. I hung up the phone. I went outside of, of Barnes and Nobles and ran right into that couple. I was like, hey, how you guys doing? They're like, oh, hey, how are you? And I'm like, they were like, hey, listen, uh, can we share some things? And they poured out their hearts to me. Wow. And I spent like 30, 45 minutes walking with them and talking. And then I got to lay my hands on them and pray. And they were breaking down crying right there at, at Bay Street, Emeryville. I was like, go, Jesus. That's right. <laughs> Jesus. Hallelujah. I was so pumped. I walked away from there. I was on fire. I was so, and then a couple minutes later, I walked right into, into one of our members who used to be a member, but stopped being a member who didn't, hadn't come to church in a couple of years. And she's like, Pastor B. I'm like, Hey, how you doing? I haven't seen you in a while. She's like, yeah, good to see you. I got to go, but I'll see you Sunday. I was like, all right, I'll see you Sunday. She came back to church on Sunday. Look at that. You don't go to church for a couple of years. God will send your pastor to meet you at the mall. You ain't saved nowhere. I was like, uh, uh, go Jesus, go Jesus. And then I thought to myself, you know what? I want to have a nice dinner all by myself. I'm going to go to P.F. Chang's. So I walk into P.F. Chang's and I sit down at the bar and there was this, this middle-aged African-American woman sitting right there next to me at the bar. And I sat down next to her and I looked at her and I said, just having a quiet evening by yourself, huh? She went, mm-hmm. But the way she, the way she looked at me was, don't, don't you be talking to me. Okay, I don't know you like that, all right? I just keep to yourself, you know? And I was like, oh, okay, all right, yeah. Okay. And, and when I turned back, I ordered my food, and all of a sudden, the scripture came to my mind. I started meditating on that verse, and then I, I wanted to look at it, so I opened my phone. I went to BibleGateway.com, and I went to that verse, and I just started meditating on that verse. I'm just minding my own business, meditating on this verse, eating my, my sea bass. And she taps me on the shoulder and goes, excuse me, are you reading the Bible? And I said, oh, yeah, actually, I am. And then she just starts pouring out her heart. I mean, she just starts, like, telling me her whole life story. And I'm thinking, she has no clue who she's sitting next to. <laughs> and before it was over, I got to lay my hands on her and pray. And she started breaking down crying. She's like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And I thought, I walked out of there going, go, Jesus. Go, Jesus. God, I was so, I was so, I was so excited because... When I said I need a night to myself, I didn't mean I don't, I don't want to see anybody. I don't want to talk. That's not what it's about. Jesus has access to my life 24-7, 365. I just simply needed some time away from my wife. And, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I needed time away from y'all, not Jesus. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. No, I'm just, I just needed no responsibilities. That's what I needed. I, you know, no washing dishes or sending emails and, you know, but uh, <clears throat> the point I'm making is that all God is looking for from us is that we would be available. If we would be available to him, he will use you if you're available. I mean, just try it. Like wherever you walk, just Lord, I'm available. And don't try to make something happen. Yeah. The worst thing we can do is try to make something happen. Yeah. Getting up in somebody's business. Excuse me, let me tell you about Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ain't nobody got time for that. But God will make it. God will do it. Yeah. As long as you get out of Jerusalem. Yeah. Jerusalem is the realm of the comfortable. Yeah. And that we, we worship comfort in America, don't we? Yeah. It's, yeah. if my pet peeve is when believers say stuff like, I don't feel comfortable. <laughs> I just don't feel comfortable. We worship comfort. Yeah. God never promised us comfort. Yeah. Never promised us comfort. And if you, don't, if, you, if you are committed to remaining within the realm of your comfort zone, 
God will never use you. You got to be willing to allow God to pull you out of your comfort zone to see his kingdom break forth through your life. He will do it. Amen. All right, back to the story. Back to the story. Give God a shout of praise. That's good. Amen. Now, now they're scattered. Now, remember when, when the seven deacons were named in Acts chapter 6, the first two that were named, number one was Stephen. Yeah. And then we saw him feature prominently in the rest of chapter 6 and chapter 7. Yeah. The second deacon that was mentioned was Philip. Huh. And now Philip is going to feature prominently in chapter 8. Yeah. Now, what happens is Philip... He goes to Samaria. Everybody else is scattered throughout all Judea. But Philip, he goes down to Samaria. Now, what did Jesus tell the disciples? Jerusalem, all Judea, and Samaria. Philip finds himself in Samaria, one of the very places Jesus said, you shall be my witness. Isn't it funny that this storm that hit the church in Jerusalem carried Philip right into the center of God's will? He gets down to Samaria and he starts preaching the gospel. And not only is he preaching the gospel, but he's demonstrating the gospel. Yeah. He's working miracles and signs and wonders. And it said, with one accord, the people of Samaria gave heed to the things Philip said yeah. because they were astonished at the miracles and signs and wonders with he, which he worked. Yeah. For many demons came out screaming. Pe- I mean, literally, now, <laughs> we, got, we got this, uh, this thing in the American church, um, because comfort is, is the God of American culture, we worship comfort more than anything, we import that into the church, and so it's like, just make sure people can stay comfortable when they come to church. And so any kind of like, like manifestation, any spiritual manifestation, keep that private. Don't let people say that it might freak people out. And especially like demons coming out of people. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of Americans who actually believe there's no such thing as a demon. When they read the Bible, they just demythologize that right out. They just say, you know, well, that's what's a metaphor for the evil in the world. Well, that's because you never met one. The only demons you believe in are in the movies. (laughs) And and you just watch the movies and you think you're looking at something fake. You know why I don't watch demon and Satan movies? Because I know they're real. I ain't got time for a story, but one came to my mind. I'm not going to tell y'all. You can thank my wife for that later. She keeps me on track. Demons were manifesting. In, while Philip is preaching, demons are manifesting, and Philip's like, come out, and they're coming out. Wow. Yeah. And the people are like, dang. <laughs> he's commanding demons, and they're coming out of people, and then he's healing sicknesses. And the people were like, okay, we're in. Yeah. We believe. Yeah. And the whole town believes Jesus. Now, it's interesting that they act, this was not without context. There was actually a precursor to, the, this, to this. Samaria actually had heard of Jesus yeah. because Jesus actually visited Samaria personally yeah. in John chapter 4. Yeah. You remember that? John chapter 4, he's going through Samaria. He sits down at a well. He tells his disciples, why don't y'all go on over to In-N-Out and get some burgers? I'm hungry. Give me a double-double no-sauce ketchup instead with onions. Light well and a chocolate shake. And they're like, we got you, Jesus, and they leave. Just remember that next time you go to In-N-Out, if you're getting from me, that's my order. Get, get the podcast so you can remember that. Write that down. He sends the disciples off, and then this woman shows up at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon to draw water from the well, and he has this encounter with the woman at the well, and at the end of that encounter, he tells her who he is. He had never told anybody who he was until this woman. She said, when Messiah comes, he'll tell us all things. Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. Dang! She dropped her water pots. She left her. She came there for water. She left her water pots behind. That is, when she met Jesus, she forgot what she came there for. Yeah. Yeah. See, people come to church for many reasons. Yeah. 
But when you actually meet Jesus, you leave your water pot behind. You forget that you came looking for a wife. You actually met Jesus. You forget that you came because you, you needed a job. You actually met Jesus. You forget about the blessing you wanted from Jesus because the presence of Jesus himself is more than enough. She runs into the town and she tells everybody, come meet a man who told me everything that I ever did. Is he not the Messiah? And the whole town followed her back to the well in Samaria and they sat at the feet of Jesus himself. And, G- and when, when that day was over, they all said, now we believe not because of what you said, yeah. but we met him personally. Yeah. That is the most beautiful picture of evangelism I've ever heard. Yeah. What you said is enough to get me to follow you to the well. Yeah. But when I get to the well and I drink from the well, now I don't need you anymore. Yeah. Now I've met Jesus himself. So Jesus had already come to Samaria. Now Philip comes down to Samaria and preaches Jesus. And the people are like, we remember that guy. Isn't it interesting that the moment you receive Jesus is not the moment Jesus starts working in your life? That after you come to faith in Christ, you're able to look back on your life and go, I remember that guy. He's the one that kept me from dying when I was in that accident when I was 12 years old. I remember that guy. He's the one that comforted me when my mom died when I was 16. I remember that guy that is no matter when you receive Jesus, you're able to look back on your life and realize he's been walking with me all the time, but I didn't know him. I didn't know how to acknowledge him. Listen, when you receive Jesus, it's not the moment Jesus starts to walk with you. It's the moment you start to walk with him. It's the moment you become aware of the fact that he was there all the time, that he was waiting patiently for you. But in between the first visit of Jesus and Philip's visit to Samaria, something transpired in between that we call deception. Because there was a guy named Simon who was a sorcerer. And he was there working all kinds of witchcraft. And he deceived the people into thinking that he was somebody special. And all of the people gave heed to the signs and wonders, do you realize that there is such thing as demonic power? And that people who dabble in witchcraft, in sorcery, in voodoo, in all of these things are dabbling in the realm of demonic power. And do you realize that there's nothing more dangerous than messing with demonic power? This is why believers should not go see psychics and check horoscopes and go talk to diviners and sorcerers. You should not. Why? Because those people are dabbling in demonic power. And and listen, the demonic has one aim. It's to destroy Christ and all of his followers. If you are fooling around with demonic power, you're fooling around with a realm that is bent on destroying you. But Satan wants to convince you that he's not trying to destroy you. He's actually trying to help you. He will try to convince you. And this is what Simon the sorcerer was doing, trying to convince the the people that the demonic is actually here to help you, to build your life, to strengthen you. Isn't that what Satan tried to do to Jesus in the wilderness? If you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you fulfill your destiny for your life. Simon the sorcerer was working these lying signs and wonders and he deceived the whole town. They had met Jesus, but they were still deceived because there was nobody there to teach them. Now Philip comes and his power is greater than that of Simon's power. And all of the people are looking at Simon and looking at Philip and going, nah, Philip is the stuff. And we remember that guy, Jesus, and Philip's got more power than you. His power is stronger than your power. We believe this guy, Philip, and the whole town believes. And then Simon himself, the sorcerer himself, was like, I think you guys are right. And it says, even Simon believed. And even Simon was baptized. The whole town receives Christ, gets baptized. And even the deceiver of the town believes Christ and gets baptized, that sounds like a a beautiful end to a beautiful story, right? Story's over. (laughs) Philip went home, and it was great, right? No. Word goes back to the apostles in Jerusalem. Samaria has received the word of God. 
The whole town received Jesus Christ. The whole town got baptized. Even the town deceiver believed Christ and was baptized. And the apostles were like, that's awesome. Go, Jesus. Go, Jesus. They were so excited. And then one of the apostles says, and then what happened? And they were like, well, that's it. He was like, no, but I mean, what happened after they were baptized? Like, no, that's it. They were just baptized. They're just there. He goes, no, no, no. I mean, tell me about how the Holy Spirit fell on them. And they said, oh, well, no, the the Holy Spirit didn't fall on them. And the apostles were like, wait, 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 wait. They received Jesus and they were baptized. They're like, yeah, but the Holy Spirit didn't fall on them. You didn't hear anybody speaking in tongues down there? No, not one person. Okay, were there any visible manifestations of the Holy Spirit? Was there any visible evidence of the infilling of the Holy Spirit in their lives? They're like, no. And Peter was like, didn't you hear my sermon in Acts chapter 2? <laughs> Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the, for the gift, forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. For the promise is unto you, to your children, to as many as are far off. Samaria is not that far away. The promise is for Samaria too. And the the apostles in the early church were like, this isn't right. This isn't right. The story is not over yet. We can't put a period on this sentence yet. You know what? Jesus already went through there. They believed him and then they were deceived. If they don't receive a greater power... in their lives, they'll be deceived again. Because after Philip leaves, somebody else is going to come in there and work some more counterfeit miracles. And if they don't have a power in them that is greater than the power of the next deceiver, they're going to be deceived again. It's not enough to have a powerful guy standing up on the platform preaching to them. They got to be powerful. They got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That way they can sniff out any deception that comes their way. You're a deceiver. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Makes the lame to walk in the blind to see. Opens prison doors. Sets the captives free. They need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and fire. And Peter jumped up and said, you're right. And John jumped up and said, I'm going. And Peter said, I'm going too. And John and Peter packed their bags and they went down to Samaria and they had themselves a revival. They went down to Samaria. Now watch this, Peter and John. They go to, why did they, I want you to get this. The apostolic church in Jerusalem was concerned that there had been no visible manifestation of the Holy Spirit. They were concerned because they believed with all their heart there should be, there must be a visible, experiential, evidential infilling of the Holy Spirit in the life of every believer. There must be. Sonny and I, Back in 2002, we're ministering in Indonesia in a city called Pontianak on the island of Kalimantan. And in the middle of one of the services, my wife was praying for people on the left side. I was praying for people on the right side. My wife saw this young lady and called her up, little girl, probably 16, 17 years old, called her up. At the same time, I called up this little boy on the other side, probably 15, 16 years old, come up here. And both of us laid hands on them at the same time and prayed for them, and both of them got baptized in the Holy Spirit and hit the floor speaking in tongues at the same time. Bam! Here's what we found out. Both of them were brother and sister. They had just received Christ within the last few weeks, but their father was the witch doctor on the island. And when he heard they had received Christ, he started putting curses on them. And they were living in anxiety and fear and depression and could not break free from those curses. And a couple of the pastors said they had prayed for them many times, but the anxiety and fear wouldn't break off of their lives. They got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Guess what happened when they got off the floor? There was no fear. There was no anxiety. Those curses couldn't stick to them anymore. Why? 
It wasn't because we were powerful. It's because when the Holy Spirit came on them, yeah. they, now they're powerful. Yeah, 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 yeah. It wasn't about the power of any preacher. It was about the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, you've got to be powerful enough to resist the devil. Yeah, 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 yeah. What are you going to tell the devil? Well, go talk to my pastor. <laughs> my pastor will handle, handle you. Please. Nobody got time for that. You better handle the devil yourself. You better get the Holy Ghost yourself. I'm fighting my own devils. I ain't got time to fight yours too. <laughs> we can get too comfortable in the church. You know, I grew up with a gangster mama. It's like she will fight any devil that comes my way. Shoot, I had to learn, I had a dream. I, you know, my, my wife and my daughter and I were staying in my parents' house a few weeks ago. I had a dream in the middle of the night that the devil was attacking my mom. And I woke up in the middle of the night speaking in tongues and doing warfare on my mom's behalf. I realized she's my covering, but guess what? I'm her covering too. Yeah. She raised me, she covered me, but you know what? Now I'm an adult, I need to learn how to cover her back. Yeah. When the devil attacks me, she fights. When the devil attacks her, I got to fight too. Yeah. If you ain't got nobody strong enough under your covering to fight the devil on your behalf, you're going to be in trouble. <laughs> your kids need to learn how to fight the devil yeah. and win. And that comes through the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Do you realize that the weakest, youngest, most unlearned an immature, spirit-filled believer has authority to make the devil flee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That should be enough to excite you, encourage you, strengthen you, give you hope. I don't care if you only got one scripture. I don't care if the only scripture you know is John 3.16. You get full of the Holy Ghost and get John 3.16 in your mouth, the devil will flee. And so Peter and John said, we're going. This is our concern. Yeah. This has to happen. Yeah. Listen, God is looking for a church that will be concerned yes. about the coming of the Spirit. Yeah, yeah, a church yeah. that will rise up and say, this is a concern. So it's not right. Something, it's not right. If the Holy Spirit is falling, something is missing. Something is not right. They need the Holy Spirit. Why? Paul said in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 12, to the Roman church, I long to come to you that I might impart some spiritual gift that you might be established. Yeah. Paul says, I want to come and impart such a power of the Holy Spirit to you that you might be established. Mm -hmm unmovable, steadfast and unmovable, so the devil can't move you anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Peter and John came. And they called the believers together and said, listen, guys, so glad you believed in Jesus. By the way, believing in Jesus, that's all you need to do to be saved. Yeah. I don't want any of you worrying about your salvation because you don't speak in tongues. That's not what it's about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And secondly, it's not about status either. I don't want any of you to think those who speak in tongues are a higher status than those who don't. Yeah. It's, you know, it's not about levels. It's not about people being more worthy than other people. Yeah. I grew up in a church where they taught, if you don't speak in tongues, it's because you're not a clean vessel and the Holy Spirit won't come into you. And so people who didn't speak in tongues were always walking around worried that they had too much sin in their lives. And I saw people who were in their 40s and 50s and had been repenting for decades and still couldn't find their way to get clean enough for the Holy Spirit to come in. Let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit comes in and makes you clean. Yeah. He doesn't come in because you're clean. He comes in and makes you clean. You can't clean yourself without the Holy Spirit. Got to break that condemnation because as soon as we start talking about pursuing the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the devil comes and speaks all kinds of condemnation. Peter and John said, let me tell you what this is. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, there's a power that lives on the inside of you. As a believer, you might find over the course of your life that you have to drag your water supply through the desert. Mm -hmm. But when the infilling of the Holy Spirit comes, it's like a river picks you up and carries wow. you. I remember before the fullness of the Holy Spirit came into my life, it was a chore to pray for 10 minutes. <laughs> 10 minutes felt like hours. And sometimes I thought I had prayed for hours. <laughs> and then I'd look at the clock and three minutes passed by. <laughs> My grandmother said, we're praying for an hour. And I prayed everything I knew how to pray. I said every word I had in my being to God. I looked at the clock, 90 seconds had gone by. 
I said, oh, Lord, I still got 58 minutes and 30 seconds, and I don't know what, what else to say to God. And when the Holy Spirit came and filled me to overflowing, I found the opposite. I prayed, and it felt like three minutes had gone by, and I looked at the clock, and an hour had passed. Why? Because the Holy Spirit, the, listen, the Holy Spirit is not the reward for being holy enough or spiritual enough. The Holy Spirit is the power that makes you holy and the power that makes you spiritual. So Peter and John came and they just said, we're going to have a service and all we're going to do in this service is we're going to lay our hands on you and just believe for the Holy Spirit to come. And the scripture said, everyone Peter and John laid their hands on received the Holy Spirit. You know what I believe? I believe not all of them received it immediately. It's at least possible. I remember when my brother-in-law received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We prayed for him. We laid hands on him in a prayer meeting, and we knew that the Holy Spirit had come on him, but there was no manifestation. But there was such a witness in the Spirit. He went home, and in the middle of the night, he started speaking in tongues. The manifestation of it came later. Remember what Jesus said, whatsoever things you ask for when you pray, believe that you have received them and you shall have them. Yeah, yeah. But at any rate, as Peter and John laid their hands and prayed, there was an evidential, experiential, visible manifestation of the infilling of the Holy Spirit upon every life and every soul. Amen. Now watch what happens. When the Holy Spirit manifests in power, sometimes it uncovers the wickedness that has been hidden deep in hearts. And this guy, Simon the sorcerer, even though he believed and was baptized, still had some deep stuff in his heart that needed to come out. And he approaches Peter. When he sees the power of the Holy Spirit, it releases his ambition. He comes to Peter and says, I'm going to give you $100,000 if you give me this power that upon whoever I lay my hands on, they receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter turned to him, and I know what, I know what the Bible says, you know, what, what does it say in the New King James Version? Thy money perish with thee. That's what it says in King James. Thy money perish with thee. Your money perish with thee, for you thought that the gift of God... Let me tell you what Peter actually said. <laughs> you and your $100,000 can go to hell. When they're talking about perish, the word perish, you know what it means? To go to hell. Peter said, you can, you can take that money and go to hell, okay? You and your money. I think he snapped his fingers. <laughs> you and your money can go to hell. Because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have no part or portion in this matter because your heart is not right with God. And then Peter got another revelation and said, for I perceive that you have been poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. And now all of a sudden, Simon cries out and says, please pray for me that I don't go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. <laughs> Please. Pray for me that I don't go to hell. When the deeper work of the Holy Spirit, see this, you know, there's a little Simon the sorcerer in all of us. A little bit of unseen ambition. Some kind of something where you want to be seen or you want to be known or you want, you want. And that's, that's why oftentimes when we pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit, God takes his time in answering that prayer. Wow. Why? Because he's got to dig some stuff out of your soul. Yeah. See, God knows. I thank God he didn't give me what I wanted when I wanted it. Because yeah. I would have used it for my own glory. Yeah. Yeah. And now that that was judged... And Simon was made right. The church is established. Yeah. Philip left after that. The apostles left after that. The church was on their own. But you know what? A church that believes in Jesus, has been baptized in his name, 
and is full of folk that have been filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit and have dealt with the deep stuff in their heart, they're okay no matter what happens. They're okay. They're okay. You know what God wants? You know, I've seen it happen so many times where some devastation hits a church and the believers fall apart. They lose their minds. Many of them walk away from the Lord. And that never ceases to amaze me. I talk to people say, well, I'm, I'm not a Christian anymore. Why? What happened? Because my youth pastor fell into sin and walked away. And, and so, so what's that got to do with you? Why did you fall into sin? Because my pastor fell into sin. But you're not your pastor. I mean, didn't you know Jesus yourself? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I was so grieved that my pastor fell into sin that I decided I'm going to fall into sin. <laughs> well, if he jumped off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge too? That's like, if he killed one of his kids, would you kill one of yours? I mean, I know those are extreme examples, but to me, it's, the, it's like, if you would walk away from God, listen, I'm, listen, when you're establishing a faith, I don't care if everybody walks away from Christ, I'm not going nowhere. Yeah, yeah. I don't care if, if I wake up tomorrow and nobody believes anymore. I'm going to keep believing. Why? Because I know him for myself. Yeah, yeah, and I'm filled with his spirit and he's living in me. Yeah, and it's too real. Yeah, and it's too strong. Yeah. You can't make me fall. You can't deceive me. You can't knock me down. Do you know the definition of a spirit-filled believer? You can take a spirit-filled believer. I mean, think about it devastation hit the early church and they were scattered. The whole thing fell apart. And did they walk away from Christ? If that happened here in Emeryville, half of us would walk away from Christ. They went everywhere preaching the word. Yeah, 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 yeah. They led revivals in the cities they were scattered. I mean, if your church falls apart, it's not time for you to walk away from Christ. It's time for you to go start a revival someplace else. Yeah. Ain't nobody hearing me today. Are y'all listening to me today? Are you getting this today? <laughs> My uncle was a pastor. He used to say, y'all don't want me to preach. And he would say it through his whole sermon. <laughs> y'all don't want me to preach. <laughs> Amen. Amen. All right, that's it. That's all I got today. I need somebody to come play this keyboard. You know what? I've, I've, uh, I've come to a conclusion. Nothing I can do will make the Holy Spirit do what I want him to do. Yes. I mean, I, I would love more than anything. You know, my, my, uh, I would love to see the Holy Spirit fall in such power that nobody can stand on their feet, that people walking by the church outside on the street are trembling and they don't know why they have to come in the gate to find out what in the world is going on in there. I mean, I would love to see just heaven come down and everybody's so full of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that your life is just radically changed by God himself. Yeah. Not changed by church, changed by God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would love that. And, but what I've learned a long time ago, I can't make the Holy Spirit do that. Yeah. I can't scream loud enough. Yeah. I can't pray long enough. I definitely can't fast long enough. I've tried it. God will not be manipulated. Yeah. And he will not be controlled. Yeah. And he doesn't owe anybody anything. Yeah. He is sovereign. Yeah. Which means he comes when he wants to, how he wants to, and for his own purpose. Yeah. And for his own glory. Yeah. I can't make him do anything. But you know what I can do? Two things I can do. And these two things actually please him. Number one, I can desire which means that I can continue to steward my desire to see him move. Yeah. I can keep wanting. Because you know what happens when we desire for a long time but don't see what we desire? Hope deferred makes the heart sick. We tend to give up on the thing. Forget it. Forget it. You know what I can do? I can keep desiring. That if I wake up tomorrow and the Holy Spirit doesn't come the way I desire, I can keep wanting. Lord, I can't make you do it, but I still desire. And I'm going to steward that desire for the rest of my life. And maybe I won't even see what I desire until I see you face to face. But at the end of my life, my testimony, the testimony I desire is that he never stopped desiring. That he kept desiring to see God move. 
The second thing I can do is I can believe. I can believe. I can believe that he is here, that every moment is pregnant with the possibility for his glory to be poured out, for his kingdom to come, for his will for heaven to come down, and for glory to fill our souls. I can believe that every time I step in the house of God that this is the day that the Holy Spirit is coming today the way we have longed. I can believe, and I can believe it, and I can declare it. And you know what? If I don't see it, I'm going to come back next Sunday believing and declaring it. And if I don't see it, I'm going to come back the next Sunday believing and declaring it, and I'm going to do that for the rest of my life until I see heaven come down. I can't make him come, and I can't fault him for not coming, but I can desire, and I can believe. I can share the concern of the apostles in the early church. God, something is wrong if your Holy Spirit isn't coming. You know, the Lord began to speak to my wife and I in December, late December, about things that he wanted to do in our lives and through our church in 2019. And as he began to speak those things, I remember I was sharing these things with Pastor Daniels, and I said, it sounds like, it seems like the Lord is saying that he wants to do this and he wants to do that, and 2019, it's just going to be a breakthrough year for us. And he said to me, Benjamin, what are you going to need? If God does those things, what are you going to need? And I said, you know, if God does that, I'm probably going to need this, and I'm going to need that, and just practical things, you know. I'll probably need some help. Sonny and I will probably need some help with Aletheia, and we'll probably need, you know, to hire a a personal assistant to handle, you know, if God does this, then these are the things we're probably going to need in place. And then last Wednesday night, we were at Wednesday night prayer, and it was so powerful. By the way, if you haven't been to Wednesday night prayer, you're missing out. I'm sorry, you're just missing out. You just got to find a way to get there. It's just, it's been so powerful. It's been so mighty. But anyway, I'm at Wednesday night prayer this last Wednesday. And the Lord speaks to me and says, what are you going to need from me? If I do these things in your life, what are you going to need from me? And I said, Lord, there's only one thing I need from you. I need you to fill my daughter with the Holy Spirit. I mean, I need to see her overwhelmingly filled with the Holy Spirit. She's not too young. I mean, she already loves you, Lord. And she already wants to serve you with her whole life. But I need her to get filled with the Holy Spirit. And I began to think about my own life, how the Lord set me apart by the infilling of the Holy Spirit when I was a little boy. And he did it sovereignly. Not because I had prayed, but because he's God. Because he's gracious. And it was clear from a young age that God had set his hand on my life. I said, Lord, I need your hand to come on her life the same way your hand came on my life. I need that. But then I prayed, Lord, I need to see that for our whole church. From the oldest to the youngest, that nobody would feel that they had been locked out that they have been excluded from the move of the Holy Spirit, that there'd be a move of the Holy Spirit that every man, woman, and child would have access to, that no one would be left out, that there would be a move of the Holy Spirit that would go down to even infants, that there'd be infants who speak in tongues before they speak in English, filled with the Holy Spirit, knowing the power of God. God, that's what I need. God, that's what I need. And you know what? That's a promise from God to us. I can't make it happen in my time. It's going to happen in God's time. But you know what I can do? I can believe that it's going to happen today. And so I'm believing for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit today. I'm believing that if you're hungry, if you're thirsty, you can come unto him and drink today. That there's an infilling of the Holy Spirit that's coming to your life today. That if you would rise up in faith today and say, I'm ready to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The promise is to you and to your children and to as many as afar off, to as many as the Lord God should call. And if you want that today and you're ready, I want you to stand up on your feet. I want you to come to this altar. I want you to lift up your hands and say, God, it's me today. I'm ready today. Fill me to overflowing, and we're going to seek the face of God.